Once more, good morning, everybody, all of you online, Facebook Live, YouTube, however you found us, we're glad that you found us. Take your Bibles, too, and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I have started a new message series. This is the third message in, I believe, uh, called Sacrificial Love. We're talking about what it means to love like Jesus. We know that the ultimate uh, demonstration of love is seen in Jesus who laid down his life for us on the cross. Jesus died for us. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this that you lay down your life for your friends. So love is to give. Love is to sacrifice. Any place where you see true love, somebody sacrifice. So we're defining love in this, uh, in this message series in this way. Love is the power. It's not feeling it's not anything other than power. Love is the power that moves you in everyday relationships to, say the word, to give. To give without expecting anything back. This is what love is. Not a feeling. Uh, it's not uh, a rush of hormones. Uh, it is absolutely power that comes straight from God who himself is love. Love is power. Power to give. Uh, so this is where I want us to jump in today. I want us to talk about what it means to love Jesus, what it means to love the Lord. But I think that becomes complicated when you define love in terms of giving. What can you give him that he hasn't already given you? Nothing. He's given you the breath in your lungs. He's given you the very life in your bones. You have nothing that didn't come from him. And somebody will say, Pastor Tim, you don't know how hard I work. I've, hurt, I've worked for everything I have. Well, Please understand, it is God who gave you breath every single day. God who gives you health. God who gives you opportunity, privilege to be able to work and earn. So please understand, you have nothing that didn't come from him. So how can we give anything to him? It reminds me of Shaquille O'Neal, who says that, you know, Shaquille O'Neal is a multimillionaire, professional basketball player. And uh, anyway, his kids grew up to the point where they began to understand who he is. And so one day Shaquille O'Neal's kids said to him, uh, Daddy, are we rich? And Shaquille O'Neal said, we ain't rich. I am rich. You understand the difference there? We ain't rich. I am rich. So sometimes in our lives, we begin to think that we have a lot, that somehow it's ours. But just be reminded, you ain't rich. The Lord is rich. And he blesses you with all of the things, all of the days of your life. It is God who is good, and you are absolutely, every single day of your life, a recipient of his goodness. So how in the world can we say that you're supposed to love the one who has already given you anything? What can you give him that he hasn't already given to you? And for that answer, we'll turn to the man who has everything, Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler, the rich man. Mark chapter 10, beginning of verse 17. The man who has everything. Let's see what he has. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. This is good, y'all. I love this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. 
There is still one thing you lack, Jesus told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Jesus replied, yes, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. I I think you would recognize with me that this is the ideal young man. This dude has it all. He really, really does. I mean, first off, he's rich. He's rich. He has somehow amassed a fortune. Now, he's not that far along in years, and we don't know exactly how he got rich. In the ancient world, it was very, very difficult to have much at all, especially in the Roman Empire. Most people didn't own property. They they couldn't even begin to, to gain any sort of wealth for themselves. But this man has managed to do it. This man has money. Have you ever just asked yourself or ever wondered, you know, what you could do if you had more money? Or if you had all the money in the world, because this man's got all the money, and he's young. I mean, he's young. He's still got his youth. That's amazing, too. He already has amassed a fortune while he's still young, which means he still has his youth. He still has his health. He still has most of life's important choices in front of him. This dude is in a really, really good spot. He is sitting there in a position to really make a difference in the world. I mean, if you ever stop to wonder what it would be like for you if you could just, you know, have your youth, the older I get, the more I realize that time just slips right by so quickly. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be this guy, young, uh, wealthy, and have so much time, so much time still uh, ahead of him. Just wonder what you could do if you had more time. And on top of all of this, he's got youth, he's got wealth. This man has some sort of position of power. He's called a ruler. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know where his place of leadership or influence is, but the point is this young man with all of this money, he's also in a position of some sort of importance. He has influence. He has the ability to get things done. He can make it happen. So this man is sitting in a position literally to change the world. He could do something world-changing. He's young, he is wealthy, and he's in some sort of position to make it happen. I think it's amazing. And on top of all of this, he's a really good guy. He's just a good guy. 
He really is. He's the kind of guy that you want to root for. You want to see him have wealth and and the ability to have influence because he's going to do something good with it. This is a really good guy. I mean, he's sincere. He runs to Jesus. He kneels before him, calls him good teacher. As Jesus is talking to him, the scripture just goes out of its way to say, you know, while Jesus is looking at him, Jesus just loves this guy. You'd love him too. This guy is amazing. This is the ideal young man. You would love, love this guy. As a matter of fact, if you had a daughter, you would want your daughter to marry this guy. This guy should be on The Bachelor next season. I mean, he's that guy. He is about as good an example. Uh, He's just the ideal. He, He is the way you hope everybody turns out to be. This man has it all. Do you understand that? Do you see that? He has it all. And so this man, this rich young man, he he runs up to Jesus. And the scripture says he runs and he falls on his knees and he asks Jesus the question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a good question. But now, if you know anything at all about Jesus, and if you've read many of these, this type of encounter of Jesus in Scripture, you'll learn that when somebody comes asking Jesus a question, Jesus doesn't necessarily answer their question. In the course of this little episode here, what Jesus ends up answering is a far deeper, more important question than this question. It sounds like a good question. But see, Jesus doesn't just answer the question, Jesus answers the person. Jesus doesn't necessarily answer the question that comes rolling out of your mouth, Jesus answers the question that comes rolling out of your life. So the young man says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I think some of you who've been in church, if you know the gospel, then I think you understand the the flaw in his question. The, the, The fact of the matter is, you won't get to heaven based on something that you've done or something you might do. There's nothing to do with that, and this is the flaw in his approach. He assumes that getting to heaven has something to do with with, with something that, that he just needs to do. This is a guy who can perform. You know, he's been able to accomplish anything he set his mind to. You set a goal in front of him, he will reach that goal. You tell him what you need done, he will make it happen. This is that guy. He's incredibly confident in his ability to do whatever needs to be done. And so he's asking, what do I need to do? But you know, you know that you can't get to heaven based on what you've done or something you might do. It's based on what you can never do. No matter what you can do. I know, y'all all look like you agree with that. And I think if I asked you if you agree with that, you'd all say, yes, that's what I believe. That's the gospel. But is this truly what you believe? Yeah, I've just been around long enough to know that no matter what people say they believe, somehow most people live under some sort of, some sort of false gospel that has a whole lot more to do with whether or not you're a good person. I think most people believe that. That deep down... Like they believe in Jesus and all that, but at the end of life, like when somebody dies, all we do is talk about what a good person they were. It's a good lady. And this lady may have never stepped foot in church, may have never known Jesus, but she's a good lady, and, and so, you know, we, we know we'll all see her again. She's in a better place. So, so somehow we say we believe this, but in the back of our minds, we cannot free ourselves from that lie 
that heaven must somehow in the end be a reward for good people. A reward for good people. People who are honest, good neighbors, good mamas, good fathers, good farmers, good bosses, good employees, you know, honest people, the, the kind of neighbor that help a, help a person out. You know, that's what we're thinking. Heaven must be some sort of reward for good people. I mean, if the world worked the way the world ought to work, heaven would be a place, you know, for rewarding good people, and then all the evil people would go to hell, and that's how it would be, just, you know, a reward for good people, punishment for the wicked. Now, what is the problem with that assumption? The basic problem is none of us are good. I, I know you think you are. I know that you say, well, Pastor Tim, you don't know me, and I don't have to know you. The Bible itself says we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. The only way you can think of yourself as good is if you get to compare yourself to somebody worse. And you can always find somebody worse. You've probably got a list ready right now if I ask you. You can name five people that you're better than morally. Axe murderers, you know, child molesters, shoplifters, you know, I mean, you're better than all of those people. And so if you get to set the standard, if you get to compare yourself to the person you choose, you can make yourself look pretty good. Pastor Tim, I'm a good man. I'm a good lady. I'm a good neighbor. But you need to understand, you don't get to set the standard. For all of sin, the scripture says, and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And his standard is perfect holiness. You cannot measure up. I can't either. So if you were hoping that heaven would turn out to be this place where if you've been good enough, God will let you in, I got bad news for you. You have already blown it. You're not good enough. And you're not going to do enough now in the future to turn it all around. You're never going to earn heaven. So this young man in his whole life has never seen anything that he couldn't do. He's never seen anything that he couldn't earn, you understand? And all of a sudden, he's asking Jesus this question, what must I do? And that is not the right question. Jesus is about to turn this man around so that he understands the question of real value. You won't get to heaven based on what you've done or something you might do. It's based on what you can never do. You will never earn eternal life. You're not going to earn your salvation by doing something good. That's not how life works. Now, of course, a lot of people read this passage and they assume that the problem must be somehow that, that, this, that, that this man's rich. You know, so some of you are just settled in and thinking, Pastor Tim, you just preach, you let, the, you let the rich people have it. You preach this sermon to all the rich people in this house and the rich people who see this online with their fancy computer, you know, watching this online. Let the rich people have it. Well, understand that this is a whole lot more than just a sermon for rich people. But let's talk about money for just a moment because money is definitely this man's issue. As I said, he has everything. He has it all. But, but part of what Jesus reveals here is you can have all the money in the world and still be bankrupt in the only way that counts. Notice how Jesus shifts his focus. This young man has everything that the world has to offer. He has everything. He has it all. But Jesus redirects him to consider the value of what Jesus calls treasure in heaven. In other words, if this man wants to talk economics... Jesus can talk economics with them. We're going to talk about how the economy of heaven functions. We all know about heaven. If you know anything, you probably heard him say that heaven is a place with streets paved with gold, right? 
Golden streets, street, street paved with gold. And you probably always heard that and thought that that's just an illustration of how fancy heaven's going to be. You know, ooh, fancy, ooh la la. You know, we got golden streets, streets paved with gold. No, no, you're missing the point. When it says that heaven has streets paved with gold, that's not to say, ooh, look, gold. It's meant to say, you know that stuff down here that you would work your whole life just to have a little bit of? You know that stuff down here that's so shiny and so pretty and you want it so bad? Well, yeah, that stuff that means so much down here, up there, they walking on that mess. You understand? It has no value. They pave the streets with the gold that down here you trade your life for. You know what I'm saying? It's the economy of heaven. What seems so valuable down here is worthless up there. So Jesus is saying you really need to just give up everything down here, and you need to start investing your life in treasure in heaven. You get that? One of the most amazing men in the 20th century was a missionary and a martyr named Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott says this about following Jesus. He says, he is no fool. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Love that. What's it mean to give what you cannot keep? Well, everything you have down here, you understand you can't keep it, right? I mean, they always say you can't take it with you, but, but you, don't, you still don't believe that, do you? You know, like, you know, the time of your death, y'all going to go pick out, your family will go pick out a fancy casket for you, and they got some fancy ones. My favorites now have little drawers. Like, it's a casket with drawers, you know, so you can put your stuff in it. Now, can I just tell you, not one time has somebody, like, in the ground sat up and looked in those drawers, you know, you know, where did I put my iPhone? You, you know, I mean, not one time. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice. It's nice. But, but you, know, you know you don't take any of it with you. Which is to say, when Jesus says you need to have treasure in heaven, it means everything you work for down here, that, that's not part of it. You, know, you who work two and three jobs, four jobs, I mean, you just, you just, you just work because you want money, you want things. You say, well, Pastor Tim, a man's got to live. I, I know a man's got to live. But, but, you know, you're working, like, the extra job so you can afford to live in a house that you don't even live in because you're always at work, you know, trying to afford the house. And, and, and it's this horrible cycle of, of foolishness because you can't keep any of that. N- none of it. N- nothing down here lasts. And so Jim Elliott is just saying you have to learn what has value in eternity. What, what is it that matters more than everything else down here? And, and it turns out to be everything that's up there. No fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him, and he said that there is one thing you lack. See, that's the amazing thing. That's how Jesus turned the question around. Because that young man came in saying, what must I do? Tell me what the price is. I'll earn it. Tell me, what must I do to earn eternal life, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus comes back around and says, yeah, you know, you got a lot. You got it all, but... But what is the one thing missing? What's the one thing you don't have? You see, that's the question that matters. That's the question the man who has everything never stops to ask. What is it, that, what is it that's missing? What, what is it that I lack? 
Now, most people get absolutely frozen right there, where Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then you have treasure in heaven. People get stuck right there, because they're like, Pastor Tim, you, you really think it's wrong to have stuff? No. No. I don't, think, I don't think money is sinful. I don't think it's a sin to have money. I don't think it's a sin to own things. And can I just point out that while Jesus tells this man to give it all away, sell it, and follow me, lots and lots of people follow Jesus that, that weren't asked to do that. Now, the disciples, they did. They gave up everything and followed Jesus. At the very same time, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, three of the most faithful disciples Jesus had, they lived in their house in Bethany, and, and, and they lived in a house. They didn't walk around with him, as far as we can tell. They didn't go everywhere with him, and yet they were among the closest in Jesus' circle. So understand, there are lots and lots of ways for Jesus to call us out, and lots and lots of ways for us to follow him. And so for the rich young man, this was what it required for him, and you got to ask why. Why is it that he's got to give up everything to follow Jesus? Well, the simple reason is he's never going to follow Jesus till he does. It's the money that is his obstacle. Do you see that? It's the money that's standing in his way. He has a lot of possessions. And as it turns out, he wants to follow Jesus and he wants to have everything else in life. And Jesus is saying, that's really not an option. Go get rid of everything that you cannot possibly keep and follow me. What is it that this man lacks? What is it that's missing? Jesus says, take everything you have, get rid of it, and follow me. What's missing? It's Jesus. It's the one thing he lacks. It's Jesus. I, I know, I know you're thinking, well, Pastor Tim, you know, I, I'll say it again, you know, let the rich people have that. I ain't got that much money. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. The question is, is your attraction, your attachment to things of the world going to keep you from following Jesus? You have to be willing to lay it down and love Jesus more. I know you say you're not rich, but, but you, know, you, you know that, I mean, every single person in this room, I know we live in different neighborhoods, different size houses, some of your rent, some of you have a mountain of credit card debt, and on and on and on it goes. But still, to the person I am looking at um, among the, the, the richest people who've ever lived on the planet, you know that, right? I mean, this guy is called the rich young man, but not one time in his whole life did he sit down on a toilet that flushed. Like, Never. Never did he sit down in a toilet that, that, that flushed. Like, like that car you drive and you're saying, Pastor Tim, you go ahead and talk about my car. My car is a jalopy. Uh, it's a Chevy Chevette. It is a jalopy. Okay, you understand? Your, your jalopified Chevy Chevette, do you understand? Queen Cleopatra of Egypt never rode in anything as fine as your jalopy. I mean, you really have to stop and understand the, the affluence that we have all attained. I mean, that smartphone that you have in your purse, I mean, that kind of technology, even your grandmother could not have imagined. Can you imagine the rich young man if he could have possibly walked in your house and just looked around? I mean, I know, I know, we're not necessarily that wealthy, but man, we love our stuff. We really, really do. I mean, some of you in your house 
have a TV the size of the drive-in up there on the other side of Franklin. Like people could sit in their cars on the other side and watch the TV through your window. Your TV is gigantic. Why? Have you ever stopped to ask, why? Pastor, I don't don't know what's got to do with anything. I'm just saying, the the way that we center our lives around things, possessions that that we earn, that, that we have to buy, the way you and I just buy, 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 and some of us just can't turn it off. Like your car can't drive past Hobby Lobby, can it? It can't drive past Hobby Lobby like you need another sign in the kitchen that says live, laugh, love. Like you need that, but something about it, you, you just, you, you need something. Like every time you have to come in the house at the end of the day, you got to move the Amazon boxes because you got Amazon boxes like stacked to here. Like every day. Like what are you buying? And what is it going to take for you to get to the end of that? You know, that, that, that insatiable appetite for more and more possessions, more and more things. Have you never really let... Let, let yourself realize that none of it's ever going to be enough, that none of that satisfies, that literally they walk on that mess in heaven, and, and none of that's going to have value up there. So why are you making it the center of your life down here? I think the rich young man, the problem was money, not because he had so much of it, but for the simple reason that what he did have, he, he would rather hold on to than follow Jesus. When it came right down to it, He wanted to follow Jesus, but not that bad. We call those a a price tag moment. You ever really wanted something, and you really, really wanted it until you found out how much it cost, and it's like, "Mm, yeah, I won't be getting that. I'll I'll be doing without that. The price tag moment. And a lot of us do that in our spiritual lives. It's like, yeah, yeah, I would like to follow Jesus. I'd love to follow Jesus. And then you begin to understand exactly what it's going to cost you. It's a... Spiritual price tag moment. And while you, you kind of would like to follow Jesus, you'd much, much rather just live your own life. It's not always money for us. Sometimes I think in, in, in real life terms for us, it's more comfort. It's more comfort. I, I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. And, and for a lot of us, when you think about like giving everything to Jesus, your first fear is, well, what's he going to ask me to do? What's he going to ask me to give up? He's going to make me a missionary in Botswana. He's going to take my kids away from me. You know, he's going to make me move. You know, I mean, we instantly begin to just exaggerate this fear of how, how if we give control to Jesus, he's going to make us miserable. He's going to make us uncomfortable. Isn't that insane? The God who has given you everything that you have, the God who loves you enough to die for you, and you don't trust him with your life because he's afraid he's going to mess up your life. How insane is that? Man, man, we love comfort. We love comfort. So many people in this church... They would, they like to serve the Lord. They like to do more to serve. But at the same time, they just don't have, you know, enough nights at home. What do you need all these nights at home for? Like, to watch that giant drive-in movie screen TV? I mean, I mean, seriously, we have a lot of TV watching to do, if we're honest. Some of you have watched every season of Gilmore Girls three times. Why? 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 Like, you, you just sit down and watch old reruns of Law and Order and Gunsmoke. I mean, you know, I mean, and, and that's your life. And, and you tell people, man, I, I ain't got time to volunteer. I don't have time to serve the Lord, you know, because, you know, I don't have enough nights at home as it is. There's just so much TV to watch. 
I'm not really making a joke. Y'all know that, right? This is the way our lives are. I've said before, there's some of people in this church who would love to go on a mission trip, but when you think about it, you're not going to go on a mission trip because you don't think you could eat all that foreign food. Like, seriously. Like, you imagine yourself out there. I mean, there may be people dying and going to hell, but, like, all you really like is chicken nuggets. You know, and if you, and if you think you're going to have to eat something that's foreign, you, you just, you know, you, you, you won't go. You know, and, and again, I've said it before, people who say, man, I, I can't go on a mission trip. If I, if I get on an airplane, my bowels won't move. I don't think anybody's ever exploded, you know, on an airplane. You know, if I go to Nicaragua, my bowels will never move. You know, again, it, it sounds like a joke, but you know, you know that that's how so many of us think. It's all about our comfort. We want to be comfortable, and we make our comfort the center of our lives. Everything is about making ourselves comfortable. We want the nice house with the nice furniture, and as soon as you get your house situated the way you want it, it's not going to be good enough. You're going to have another couch because your old couch is now an old couch, and there's no end to it. You cannot make yourself comfortable enough. Money, comfort, relationships. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. I mean, relationships is where a lot of us are. I talked about this last week. Now, you can't follow Jesus because you know to follow Jesus would mean that you can't continue to live, you know, with the girlfriend that you won't marry, you know? And so you're really not willing to make those kind of sacrifices. So relationships really get in our way. I love the way our church loves family, and we love our children, and then we love our parents. But I also sometimes we really struggle with the way we make that an idol. I've talked to young people in our church, and more than once, I've talked to young people in the church who have said, Pastor, I really feel called to ministry. I've had several people say, I really feel called to ministry, but my parents are telling me that there's no money in that. Okay, I'm talking about Christian parents. I'm talking about parents, you know, who we've always thought were wanting their children to follow Jesus, but as it turns out, follow Jesus, but only if he takes you to where the money is. You understand? It's, it's, it's relationships. It's that idea that, that I'll follow Jesus, but, you know, n- not if it makes me have to move too far away from my parents. Or, you know, I'll follow Jesus, but, but not if it causes me to have to make really difficult decisions about, about who I date. You know, I mean, relationships will, will tie you up. I mean, this list could go on and on and on. There are sinful habits that you get caught up into. There's so many reasons that you, you could give that, that you really want to follow Jesus, but when it comes right down to it, if it means putting that down so this young wealthy man he's got it all he runs to Jesus he falls on his knees in front of him and says tell me what I got to do what's it going to take tell me what to do to earn eternal life Jesus got nothing to do with with what you do it's got more to do with what you don't have what you lack won't you take everything you got Get rid of it. Follow me. Understand the only thing he doesn't have is Jesus. And here's the opportunity to give up what he can't keep to have what he can never lose. But in that moment, he, it's that price, price tag moment, you know. The scripture says he stood there a moment, looked at Jesus a moment, and then he dropped his face, and he just walked away sad. 
Now, the disciples are not rich men. They're not wealthy men. They're all fishermen and, you know, just, you know, like, you know, losers that Jesus picked up on the shore and, and, and called them to follow him. And it's beautiful. But they're not rich men. But at the same time, when they see this whole thing happen, I mean, Jesus is talking to a rich man. But they get it. Like, they're not rich, but they get it. They get it enough to, to kind of be worried about what, what they just saw. Because they get it in a, in a deep way. They're not rich, but they get it. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Again, they're not rich, but they get it. This amazed them. Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Yeah, <laughs> I once heard a preacher, I've heard a lot of preachers, I heard a preacher preaching this and uh, y'all going to think I'm making this up, but I'm telling you, life is so crazy, you don't, have, you don't have to make stuff up. Just tell it like it is, and people go, what? So this dude was preaching this text, and, and it says that you know, it's very difficult getting the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get in the kingdom of heaven. And I heard this preacher say, you know, that sounds impossible, but if you take a camel and put it in a blender, he said that. Like if you take a camel and put it in a blender, liquefy, you know, liquefy it, and then get a little eyedropper. I mean, he, he said this. A little eyedropper, and you could put that camel through that needle. Okay, that is so dumb. That makes my head hurt. Jesus is not, this is not a camel in a blender kind of illustration here. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying something that is impossible because that's his point. He says, you know, humanly speaking, that's impossible. Jesus wasn't saying, but if you had a blender, no. When the disciples heard this, they said, well, then who in the world can be saved? I remind you, they're not rich, but they get it. They understand that it's not really so much about money or comfort or whatever it is. It's not if you have a lot of money or a little bit of money, your comfort relationships. It's not that any of that is bad in itself. But if those things are standing in the way of your following Jesus, then those things become the very things that you will stumble over and ruin your own life and the life to come. You have to follow Jesus. No matter what else you have, if you do not have Jesus, you have nothing. So he runs to Jesus and he falls on his knee and he said, tell me what I got to do. Jesus said, I'm, you have a lot, but there's one thing you lack. Take everything you got, get rid of it, and follow me. And the scripture says, like I looked at Jesus his face fell, and he walked away sadly. He walked away sadly, but he walked away. That poor guy, that poor, poor guy. Pray with me.